Viewer discretion is advised. Who thinks like this towards a baby, to a child? Hey, to my, that's my blood, that's my heart, my everything, everything is in that little girl. Mandate. Welcome to Mandate, where we navigate fresh perspectives and nothing's off the table. Tonight's guest house all the way from the promised land, also known as 274 and also the home of the brave, but better known as Otara and Tamaki Makoto. He is also a New Zealand elect member of the Auckland Council and also has served uh, two terms as an Auckland councillor from 2016 to 2022. And also he is the highest, the highest polling candidate in 2019 in the Monaco Award. But most recently he is one of the candidates um, running for Auckland Mayor. And so he could very well be in our midst, the new mayor of Tamaki Makoto of the city of Sales, Okilani in Auckland. Please put your hands together for a son, another son of Samoa, Tokelau, the amazing Fa'anana Efeso Collins. My man, also, also, it's a privilege to have you back on again. Also, I know it was on Zoom last time. It's probably over a year now, but bro, I guess we're here as, as brothers, but more so we're very proud, very proud of, of what you've done and what, what you're going to do. And so before we kind of dive into the conversation also, just um, just from, if you could describe for us, because I know it's the, the home stretch now, nearing the end. And so if you could describe for us, how has the whole process been for you? Um, during this whole campaign and, and so forth. Oh, it's good to be back on your show again. This is awesome. Um, yeah, it's been really good. I've really enjoyed um, getting across Auckland, meeting lots of people. It's cool because you meet people who don't agree with you on everything and nice to have conversations with everyone. But it feels like we've been going for about 10 months now and so I think I'm ready for a little bit of a rest. Been a challenge on the family. I talked about that before last time I was on. And I think it's important that you know we finish the race strong. Hey, we got into this because we really care about the city and I think it's important that those people who are looking in will see someone who might look like them, someone who sounds like them, because someone who's growing up out south like them and think, yeah, this has been really good to see someone who's really stood up for the community. So I'm really looking forward to the end. A couple of days left. We've just come from door knocking. I can't remember where we were because it feels like we start the day in one part of Auckland, end it here. Nice to end it out south, eh? Nice to come home and nice to be here in your studio. Wow, this is amazing, this setup. I'm just still freaking out over how cool it is. <laughs> awesome, so it's been, it's awesome. been a good campaign. Oh, awesome, man. Awesome. And it seems like because you're looking really good, mate. You're looking really good in terms Thanks. of it just see, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a shine there. There's a shine there. Um, if you saw, and so for someone who's you know, like you said for for the last ten months, and it could be quite um, draining. But you're looking really good, man. And so you, how you how have you been keeping yourself in terms of fitness wise and health wise? Yeah, I'm, I'm not as handsome as you guys. I just noticed your um, your <laughs> what you're, you're doing for your lightweight training. Just <laughs> I thought, oh, I, my my doctor said that I should row. That's because I, I, I like to do kind of a, um, fun exercises, but he said, keep rowing. She said, sorry, keep rowing. And because um, I'm not doing weights anymore, unlike I can see by your arms, that, um, <laughs> you're still you're still pumping the weights. But, I, you know, getting out, walking, because um, you know, we're door knocking a lot. And so I think it's good to be out in the fresh air. But where the family's concerned, I'm really fortunate. I've got a, um, a great family. My wife has been really supportive. And, you know, my, my wife's really honest, too. Hey, if she sees me and she thinks, oh, I, I think you could perform a little bit better here, you could talk a bit better here and do these things, then you get that honest feedback. And then there's my girls, and my girls are young, and it's nice to kind of, 
you, you come out of the campaign because they're interested in what they're interested in. And yeah, they get dragged around a little bit in the campaign because they've got to come to a few things, but they're the ones who have kept me, kept me really grounded. And I've been fortunate that the churches that we've visited to, they've been really cool. We've had people pray for us every time we go. I was at a train station recently and someone just stopped me and said, oh, I'm going to lay my hands on you and pray for you. And so I thought, oh, cool, and everyone's walking around. I thought, you know, it's really nice because people want to show that they're supportive, but they show it in their way. And so, you know, whether it's at the Otahu train station, someone laying their hands on me to pray for me, or just someone shouting me a feed, hey, I really like um, good cafe food, then that's been really cool as well. Yeah, that was awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's cool. Um, I was going to say, you mentioned there about all the different people that you come across and people showing support and love in different ways. Um, and then with... Obviously, with the, the candidacy um, race, you, you kind of need people to show support in a particular way. So how is that in terms of like, you're sort of trying to get them to support you, but you know, you're not, you're not trying to be too pushy, but at the same time, you know, you do still have to get the message across. How is that for you? Yeah, it's a, it's a challenge sometimes, eh? Because I think we come from backgrounds where we're not asking people for something. But in this race, what really matters is that people have voted. And so, and we know that in more in poorer areas, often Māori Pacific, where there's high Māori and Pacific populations, we have much lower voter turnout than in other parts of the area. And so it's us getting out and encouraging people, you know, what's the vision that you have? What do you want for your children? How are we going to approach uh, the way we love and we treat the city? And when people say, oh yeah, I'm invested in that, then that's how, well, hopefully they'll open the purple envelope that they've got in the mail and that they'll vote. So yeah, yeah it's a challenge, but now we're at that stage where you just got to confirm the deal, you got to seal the deal now, and that's going to be done by people voting. So we're encouraging people, if, you, if this is what you believe for the city, if this is the kind of leadership that you want, then it's really important that you vote. At the moment, only one out of four people have voted. So I think it shows that we've got to do better. Eh? And I, I think there's some system issues in it, but it's also people understanding that what council does affects their lives. But I understand too that people have a lot on their minds. There's, and you know, it's not the highest priority to open up your purple envelope and vote. And so I, I get that too. And so I just want people to know that we're out there. We're not trying to be, as, uh, to be pushy. We just want them to know that this is about our future together. That's cool. Awesome. awesome. Um, in terms of our people, also, um, are they voting, and what is your hope for them? Like in terms of you gaining their confidence that their vote will matter if yeah. they vote for someone who's from the era and that looks yeah. like them. Yeah. I think it's finding the the connection of why our parents came to New Zealand in the first place. And many of us, you know, our parents came, we're all kind of what, second, third generation uh, Pacific people now. And our parents came here because we wanted better opportunities. We wanted the kids to go to school, to university and get well educated. And I think as we see that progression and that growth, it's understanding that this is what it looks like. Hey, and many of our parents, you know, my dad was taxi driver, mum was a cleaner. So those are stories that are really common to our families. And this is the next level. We've got to be at the decision-making tables. And often we defer to other people to make decisions on our behalf. And this is about us saying, I'm going to have uh, an input into my destiny. And this is how we do it. We say, okay, Efeso, th th this is an example of Efeso standing up, but I hope people are looking and thinking, this is not just about Efeso. This is about how we move forward as a community. So I think there's that aspect to it, but it's also being one to a leadership style that 
is starting to evolve. And I think we've got to look at ourselves as providing that leadership style. And I think as Samoans, we come to, to these things a little bit different and that our worldview's a little bit different. And often people say, oh, Fessel's the nice guy on the campaign. He's very humble and that. And that's all cool and stuff. But the opposite of that is people say, oh, he's not very strong because he doesn't yell back. He doesn't push back at people. And if someone says something nasty, he's not nasty back. And that's what I think the new leadership for us looks like, that it's a humble version of leadership, that it's service-driven leadership. And we're in a society that might not be, you know, that, that maybe haven't grown up with that version of leadership. So I think we can be a lot more robust and collaborative in our style, not just oh, if someone shoots something, then we shoot back. Because I don't, I don't think that that's the kind of leadership we've been raised with at home. So I hope people look in on that and they say, oh, yeah, we are evolving. Hey, it's a bit different. And... Yeah, yeah, hopefully they're picking that up at the moment. Man, because this is a good point, Fessel, because you're right, as, as, as a people, we're quite servitude and, and humility. And so, and you're right, we don't kind of, you know, lash out when people, I mean, we're conf, uh, confronted with, yeah. with um, confrontation and, and so forth. But you're right, I like the fact that you're saying, hey, I don't have to prove myself in terms of I have to speak louder or demand something. And so it's all kind of like more more the actions also. Eh? And so... Uh, and so, in terms of like, people just changing the, the, the perception, because a lot of people think, "Oh, oh wow, he's he's humble." And you're right, he's humble. He doesn't, you know, he's not gonna, he's not quite confrontational. And so, this is the right person. But I like the fact that you're saying, "Hey, you don't need that," but still, there's that that strength in there. There's that the inner strength that that, that kind of comes out when you, when it needs to come out. Yeah. And I think that's what we do differently. Hey, and I, I'm a, I'm a dad as well. Hey, my daughters are girls. And I often think there's a whole lot of research around, but there's even Auckland Council research that says what makes Aucklanders feel safe is when they know their neighbours, they're connected with everyone. And that this, on the opposite side of that token, it says, well, what, what the question was, what makes Aucklanders feel unsafe? And the highest um, number of people said, if you're tall, brown, male, and wear a hoodie, which is how I'm dressed tonight, that's what makes Aucklanders feel unsafe. So if you think about that, that's what I'm having to go out with because that's in the back of people's minds and I'm not sure that we necessarily want to admit to that but that's what the neuroscience says is that we've got these unconscious biases that are going on in our minds and I think you look at my daughters the, the most trusted, the most gen I think some of the most gentle people with my girls are my brothers, are my wife's um, brothers um, her papa, all of that stuff and it's the men in their lives and so my daughters look at tall brown men who wear hoodies and they think that's someone I can trust yet conversely the city looks on that type of person and thinks I'm not sure that I can trust them so that's what I'm presenting to the city is that they'll look at me and I understand that the bias first is that he might not be the most trustworthy person but and that's why you got to you know if I yell back at someone then immediately people think oh man he's aggressive but I thought so it's all right for someone else to yell at me but if I yell back I'm aggressive and they're not aggressive so I think we've got to really understand how we make the the, the playing ground a lot fairer and that's what we're dealing with is we're dealing you know, I'm, a, I'm a tall person I'm really handsome you know I get that <laughs> but we've got to understand look at this panel I was thinking you know, we're all married I, I take it we're all faithfully married but you know, I still wear a ring just to make sure just to remind you bet here because I'm just wondering where your ring is. But 
it's all of that stuff that we're dealing with. And I want people to know that we are just as trustworthy as everybody else. We're just as competent, just as good, just as gifted. And I think we've got to believe it. We've got to believe that we are just as good as everybody else. And that's why we can put ourselves up. Mm. And I'm hoping that we're role modeling the example that our kids will look at us and think, you know what, mum and dad got involved because they were doing it for us. And I hope that's the message. Because win or lose on Saturday, I'll be honest with you, win or lose, that's not the issue for me. The issue is how are we role modelling to our kids that we want the best for them and that they are just as good as everyone else. And if they want to go for this office, then they should be able to and they shouldn't be held back. Oh, man. Man, that's awesome. awesome. That's that's what it makes me think about... um, Obviously, when people have these preconceptions, it takes time, sometimes generations, to really help unpack those things and understand them enough to combat them. Mm-hmm. And just hearing you say that um, makes me really hopeful for the future, regardless yeah. of the outcome. Um, I think just seeing you in the race at this point will open so many doors for the future mm-hmm. generation. Um, and I think that's kind of what you were alluding to yeah. um, with that, which I think is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. So it sort of makes me think that based on what you've observed through your time and experience, you feel like Auckland City is is at a point where we're ready to sort of combat some of those preconceptions and and sort of look beyond uh, those sort of misconceptions. Is that right? Hard out. Yeah. Hey, oh, cool. And we've matured. I think we've really mm. matured. You know, sometimes, and it's been reported, you know, there's been some really negative aspects of the campaign that's been in the news and all that kind of stuff. But I think we're strong enough to manage that stuff now and I think it's important that we confront our, all of our society whether you're looking at the way in which you know Pacific women are the lowest paid when it comes to the public service that stuff's all being covered at the moment in research we've got to determine for ourselves that we want everyone to have a fair go and I want everyone to believe I think that's part of our, our challenge too because a lot of our young people need to get through that as well there's research that says that for young Maori students that they want to be ev- anything and everything up until the age of seven by the time they turn 14 suddenly they don't want to be everything something gets in the way and they start disbelieving that they're capable and I think we've got to deal to that and when we've got men brown men in particular who are standing up and being an example I think our people will look in hey our young people in particular and they'll think hey if they can do it then that means I've got a chance at doing it as well. And I think that's what's going to lift people's sense of belief. So, yeah, we can do it. We're a mature city now. We can move on. Yeah, that's nice. really cool. That, that's really that's interesting. Cool, you um, brought an experience to mind. I'm in my final year of um, teaching, so I'm, I'm doing oh, primary school oh, teaching. Yeah. Just did my practicum in a Māori enrichment class, so the majority of the class is all Māori. And um, when I had asked them to describe the, themselves within the school, within the wider mainstream school, they described themselves as the worst class in the entire school. They had no belief in their ability mm. to, to learn and do anything beyond, you know, everyone was wanting to be cool and um, they've got family members and gangs and all that sort of yeah. stuff. And it, was, it really broke my heart a bit mm. um, because it, they couldn't see what I could see in them. Um, and so just you talking about their statistic and then seeing it play out in real life with these children, um, just sort of re-emphasizes the importance of seeing, um, you know, brown people in spaces. Like they're really grateful that I'm, yeah. I'm a brown male model in the uh, role model in the classroom, being able to teach them, and that's something I, I take very seriously. And so I'm really grateful to be in that position. But to see people like yourself and and other brown re- role models um, out there achieving great things, I think is so important in terms of that next generation conversation, um, even beyond 
what's at stake today. So I think, uh, yeah, good on you, man. I think that's awesome. And, and I really like it too, because when we can see, you know, Christian Fanenes Schmidt, we, we haven't agreed on everything, me and Crit, but he says often, hey, if you can't see it, you can't be it. And I think the fact that we've got teachers in front of us who look like us, I'm not saying we just want brown teachers. What I'm saying is we need to be across all forms of society, whether it's pastoring a church uh, whether it's teaching, whether it's being a doctor, whether it's owning a business. Hey, I've come with um, Harry tonight. Hey, and, you yeah. know, he's he's a little bit suspect sometimes, but, <laughs> you know, lawyer. And I think, you know, and you, you go on the street, you wouldn't think he was a lawyer. Like, you know, you wouldn't think I'm a politician the way I'm dressed tonight. But I want, that's how we break down those barriers. And the kids believe. And the kids look at us and think, wow, you can be a lawyer, you can be a politician, you can be a teacher. My wife's a teacher, or she's a trained secondary school teacher. And I love it about it, hey, because I can see when she used to teach, she used to get all the naughty kids into her classroom. And often the naughty kids were the Maori or the Pacific Island kids, but often there were challenges that they were experiencing that maybe not the, te the teachers didn't quite get. And then when they come into Fia's classroom, you know, she's able, maybe she's just stricter, you know what Samoan teachers are like, they're, they're a little bit stricter, but they come into an environment that they understand. And I think that's what we're trying to do is create the environments they understand, make sure they're safe, but then give them the opportunity to really flourish and blossom. I think this is what being a role model is all about. Mm. Nice. I just want to go back to, um, you're talking about people's perception of, you know, your strength or what strong um, being strong looks like, and man, when I think about some of the things that you had to endure, and, and you have your two girls, and some of the other candidates and people out there won't understand some of the rubbish that you had to go through, and that strength to me, and that you you being able to endure that. Um, with humility, I want to honour that also. Sure. Uh, just like just having you sitting here and just thinking about it, like, man, you're spearhead for our community. Like, people that understand, like, the racism that you had to face. Um, yeah. And I don't know, I just wonder, since we got you here also, like, how hard was that for you? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. Eh? I'm trying not to look at you because <laughs> then I'll get um, emotional myself. But it, I, I think it's one of the realities that we've got to face. Eh? And I think backing up to the time we had the... Shuttles. Oh, shuttles. The, the, oh, the death threats. Mm. Hey, you know, you having the police come to our house... I thought I'd cried out all these tears sharing about this stuff before, but, you know, my, my kids are girls. And I think I reflect on my job as their dad. Hey, because you, you want to protect your kids. You want them to know that you love them and that you've got the best intentions for them. But, you know, death threats is next level. I remember when they said to me, oh, you know, if you saw the... Usually, if they send a death threat to a politician, they just name the politician. And I thought, God, is, is that supposed to be normal? Hey, like you think about yeah. that and you think that's not normal. And then when they named my family, I thought, man, is that my my girl was had only just turned one and a half. Hey, she was young, isn't? I thought 
Who thinks like this towards a baby, to a child? Hey, to my, that's my blood, that's my heart, my everything. Everything is in that little girl. And I think that's the, that's the unfortunate reality of what we face. But you stand up, eh? and I know that I think what I can rely on, what, what I think what's most steadfast in my family is we've got a God who cares about my family. Hey, and, and we have relied on our faith. We've, we've leaned on our faith. And we know that God has been present in our hearts. And I remember when Fear and I were talking and she said, man, do you want to continue with this? Like, is this what you really want to do? And I said to Fear, I, I think the question is, is this what we really want to do? And, you know, my wife's a very strong woman. And, you know, after some time just reflecting, we had good friends come around and, and hang out with us. And I think that's when we made the decision, we've got to fly. This is our opportunity to show Auckland we're here. This is our home. Eh? And you can't threaten us out of your home. But that was probably the experience that is most memorable because it was probably the pinnacle of how bad it gets. Eh? You know, having the bomb squad go through my office, then the bomb squad came and went through our apartment block. Hey, you don't forget that kind of stuff, but we accept that if we're going to challenge what I think has been some, you know, some thinking that's not appropriate for our city, then we've got to stand up. Hey, and yeah, so we're through it. We're and we're glad to be part of this race now. We acknowledge that there's going to be challenges that people are going to disagree with us, disagree with the way we live. But I want my girls more than anything to look at dad and mum and say they stood up for us. They did everything they could to make sure that we had as fair as an opportunity as possible. But I'm not just doing it for my girls. I think about hey, all of our kids yeah. because it's important for them. I want them to see, you know, one day, you know, my, my nephew has been saying, you know, uncle, I'm going to become the mayor. And he just talks about it. He's, what, 10 or 11? And the way he talks about it is like it's nothing. It, nothing in the sense that it's just natural. It's just another thing that happens. And I think that's what belief looks like, that it's normal now, that yeah. when they're thinking of leadership in the city or leadership in the country, it's just normal. things. oh, yeah, I'm going to become the mayor. You know, they talk about it like, yeah, it's easy, uncle. Like, why are you feel looking so tired and forlorn after a 10-month campaign? And I think, yeah, this is exactly how it should be. And I'm thinking about our kids and making sure that the kids, the next generation have every opportunity to flourish. So, yeah, thanks for the acknowledgement, bro, but this is for all of us. Yeah, man. Hey, this is all of us having Props, a go man. at it. <coughs> Thank you. Man. Sorry, bro. Oh, oh man, man. <laughs> oh, man, props, man. No, no, props to you, man. Also, because it is, I can I can imagine, we can only imagine the the the, the thoughts and, and the, the emotions that are running through your head during those those threats and also the, the racism mm -hmm. towards you and, and, and your ainga. But also, it's a testament of, of who you are, mm. because not too many people want to throw themselves out there and get oh, okay, cool, and going to get and you and you have you've been getting a lot of trolling, a lot of um, negative comments, death threats, all this all this um, bad banter and all that kind of stuff. But you're still here. Mm. You're still here, so, and it's, it's a testament of, of who you are, your character, because most people would have would have given up. And you said, and you said yourself, you said to you to fear. Oh no no! What are, what are we doing? She said to you, "Hey, it's 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 time for you to just just quit, just sit down, just you know, for the safety of your of your family." But you see the bigger picture, and I love that you say it's it's not just because people are kidding. Okay, mayor, these are my accolades, my accomplishments. This is what I'm gonna do for the city and, and so forth. All this civil engineering, all that kind of stuff. But you are looking more of a future for our for our young people and generations to come, and so 
I think when the vision is that kind of a vision, it just it speaks volumes because a lot of people are thinking of what I've, what I've, what am I going to accomplish as the mayor? But you're looking more of, okay, these are the young people, these are my people, how do I better the lives, the beneficial, or the betterment of, of, of our people? So, also, man, oh, man, props, man. We would have just shut shop now and said, hey, vote for it right now, man. Just, <laughs> bro, just, bro. No, man, thank you so much, also. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm, I always think of who's next, mm. eh? And I think that's our role, eh, is... Because I think in leadership, especially in politics, um, if you look at whether if we're mentoring or not, I don't think we're doing a lot of mentoring. Mentoring is my life. And I always see it as if we're going to break through a ceiling, then we've got to take lots of people through with us. I think that, you know, I'm the councillor now. I'm not standing again for councillor. So this is it. Eh? And if I'm not elected on Saturday, that's it too. And we've got to find something else. But what's important to me is that you're building a base of people who are going to do better. And I want the next person to do better than me. And I'm not scared of that. I'm not scared that they're going to be better and better looking and more intelligent and more effective in the role. I actually think that's what we want. And when we understand that we're not the, the ceiling, we, we should be nurturing the next level of talent so that they are better than us. Because if, if people were the same as us, it was boring. We're just creating more of who we are. And I think allowing people to show their full talent means that we know the time to get out of the way. And I was thinking, not that I want to get all preachy and stuff, but I was thinking of John the Baptist. And remember when John the Baptist came along and they said um, he, his job was to say that the Lord is coming and to preach the way of repentance and the Lord is coming. And then um, some of those disciples went to Jesus and said, oh, so are you like who John the Baptist has been talking about? And he goes, yeah. And then John the Baptist realized, cool, my work's done. And I treat it the same way. Hey, I'm not holy like John the Baptist, but <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we we do what we have to do. We lay the platform for whatever it is we have to do. And then we get out of the way. And I think in politics, one of the biggest challenges I would give to any politician is when do you know it's time to get out of the way? Because we can't become the ceiling that stops growth. Hey, you know, I've come with his tonight. And he's one of those people. I know he's better than me. I, I, I would just never admit it. I, <laughs> I, but there's people who are better than me. And they've got to be, they're younger, they're, they're more perceptive. I, their talents are such that they've been able to, you know, be really good at stuff. We I have to learn. When's my time to get out of the way? And I see me finishing as the counsellor as a, as a timely point for me to step aside and let, allow someone else to go forward and... It might mean I have to look for a new job and my wife's going to be wondering how we're going to pay the mortgage, but that's all good. Eh? We'll, we'll find something. I'll, I'll come and maybe I'll get one of, rid of one of your boys. And <laughs> I'll be on that side of the, of the table next time. We need time. We need co-hosts. We need a new co-hosts. That's cool. Uh, so I was just thinking about the, you know, just going off what you were saying in terms of gatekeeping mm. um, in politics. And, and I'm, I imagine it's, probably the way it's been is like you know keeping control and, and keeping your place um but where does that sort of open-mindedness come from for you in terms of just being okay with because i imagine there's not too many at least from the old guard they kind of have that mindset but um how did that mindset get instilled in you and when did that sort of because i imagine when you first came into politics you'd have a different mindset compared to what you have now based on perspective experience all that sort of stuff 
Yeah, probably my father. Dad, dad, you know, people will know dad was a taxi driver, but he was also the part-time Fifi Elwoodell, like an AOG church, Samoan AOG. And dad often said that we've got to hold things in our fingertips that we can't grasp onto it or, or what's the word, like really grip it and never let go. And because I think I saw that in my father, I've realised that you, I can't hold something forever. And, you know, in politics, you know, some people stay in politics for 30 or 40 years. I think we see it ex- expressed in sport as well. And I don't want to be mean to people, but sometimes in sport there's a time where you reach a pinnacle and it's good to go out on, on your terms. And, you know, one of the best series I watched was, I can't remember the name of the series, but you know the, um, the Netflix series of Michael Jordan? Oh, yeah, hey, the last, last, yeah, last, last day. Yeah. Oh, I really enjoyed it. Hey? I like, looked at the way he was treating the media and the way he spoke with the media, how they'd follow him into the changing rooms. I thought, man, what kind of, if, if that was me, I'd say to the camera people, you know, you don't want to see my abs, just wait there. <laughs> but the way he spoke with him, the way he expressed his talent and his leadership, and I think that's, Probably a good example of when we know, hey, people might argue when Michael Jordan should or should not have got out of the way, but that's when we understand that it's not just about us. And I think you've got to be safe in who you are, because when we're safe in who we are, it's okay to move aside. It's okay for someone else that we've walked with, where we've held hands with, to come in and to take over. And that, that takes a bit of risk as well, because, you know, we like to think, you know, everyone's got an ego. We like to think we've done something really cool. Hey, I, I like to think I'd be the best mayor for Auckland come Saturday. But if Auckland doesn't vote me in, I'll just have to say, well, they chose somebody else and I've got to accept that. And if we learn to accept things and hold it, you know, just not hold too hard, then we're going to be able to be nimble and move quickly. Hey, you move through some of the pain and the hurt and you move on to the next thing. So I'm hoping that people will, hey, can say, yeah, okay, maybe that wasn't my time or that was you know, something I had to think about and they moved to the side. So I hope we can all do that. But I think that comes from a whole lot of personal security as well. Mm, mean, cool. mean. Nice one. Yeah, um, I read an article, or oh, someone was reading it to me. <laughs> Because, you know, everyone, everyone's having these political <laughs> conversations and you sort of like, oh, yeah, yeah, you sway to and fro. And anyway, so I read this um, article about you and the, the the writer ended up like looking at your positives and then use those positives in a negative way. It was like, oh, he knows how to, he's, if you're looking for a, um, someone that's cheerful and knows how to light up a room and someone that's really familiar to vote for this and but then um they they sort of like switched it to make it make it out you look like a clown if you wanted a clown and i was going anyway the more i read about it the more i was getting hika and and then i was i was in conversation with my boss and i was going man this is pissing me off because not only it was an attack on you it was an attack on our people because that's the way we are, the way we um, are real cheerful and we have a lot of laughter in our gatherings and we're really people-oriented. And I was going, man, this, they're portraying um, Efeso in this light, but it's attacking all of us, all of our people. And so it made me, <laughs> it pissed me off and then also made me like, you know what? <laughs> Let's back. It fits all hard because um, we need him in there to represent us and um, 
and it's time for change. And uh, anyway, I was just, I just wanted to share that because it was. Do you That's read? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Think, um, you told me. I think yeah. you told me. That. You told me that. <laughs> no, no, you, you did. You did. You did. Um, you did mention that, um, yeah, Charles. Oh uh, yeah, I was getting eager, yeah, but I don't know what I want to do. Calm down. Yeah, sorry, I'm the guy that. So if, next time you have a bomb for it, just send your. Um, <laughs> We don't want to do any boot rides for. But no, no, you, did, you did mention that. Yeah, no. Yeah. I, I was just going to say, you know, with the bomb threat <laughs> okay. as well, we, we only told a few people, and it was all of our really close friends that offered to come and sit outside the house. Wow. Hey, and I thought, you know, that's it's, you know, the church boys were there and, and Teasel, I don't know if you've had Teasel mm. or he's a youth worker here. Mm. You know, a lot of those boys would say, man, we're coming over. And one of my boys is a, is a cop and then he turns up in his cop car and I said, Sully, I don't want the police <laughs> hanging around here. It's hard enough. They, they might think I'm dealing or stuff. But, you know, people were over yeah. straight away and I think that shows that people yeah. stand with us. I think one of the challenges though is when people write that kind of stuff because I've stopped reading the comments mm. on the Facebook page because I tell you, man, some of the things that people write, I think, Man, they're really unhappy people. Yeah. Like they really need to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, maybe have some cocoa lisa or something. <laughs> but when, when, when you read, when, when people feel that way and then they interpret mm. what we're like or what I'm like in, in, in that regard, I think what it shows is we're providing or offering a, a new style of leadership. Eh? With that People see us, because like the fact that we understand what we're like yeah. and then people look in and interpret it in a completely different way or misinterpret mm. it, shows that we've got a society that needs to be better at understanding one another, that we're going to disagree, that we're going to do things that are a little bit different from one another. And that's why I think it's often difficult. Because, you know, we have um, our families ring us all the time. They say, man, Fess, did you read mm. what this person said? And, you know, I just, I can feel that they're really mm. upset for me. I don't read it, but I just say, yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. And sometimes I feel for them because they're wearing almost the heaviness of what's been written about me. And I, I, I guess that's part of being out, out there in the public and in leadership roles because everyone's got their idea on how, the, how it's going to be done mm. best. And we have to accept that we've got to find the spaces to kind of, you know, disregard a lot of that. So, you know, I'm a member of JETS, you know, that's doesn't you can tell um but yeah so you know go and it's the boys i just text the boys and i say oh i'm heading to jets or this guy's with snap and um and they say oh just come and train you know half the time we're talking and cracking up at jets and i'm watching everyone else grunt and i'm thinking oh i haven't done that you know charles like how you grunt uh, at the but you know and so those are the kinds of things that really support us you know my i'm really into ice cream my um and and when my wife we like to she's really into um k-pop i probably shouldn't say that eh? but she loves k-pop and so now i'm getting into the, all that korean music but i think all of those things help to to disengage with what's mm. going on so that we can um, almost, we can feel replenished in ourselves because it's tough, man. It's, there have been times where I think, man, I can't believe people are saying those things. And I yeah. feel sorry because sometimes it gets to my mum. You know, dad passed away a few years ago, but when mum hears it, I can tell my mum gets upset by it. And hey, we're trying to protect them. And then this stuff happens and they feel impacted by it as well. So, you know, we've got it, the, the ripple effect through our families, our churches and our close friends does have an impact on people. But hey, you've got to try your best to manage it. Yeah, for sure, one hundred percent. I'm fun enough because I think I think you you put you put it well in terms of 
there's going to be a lot of people out there and probably look at you and even some of our own people like oh man I, I disagree I disagree I don't like what, what officials saying and all that kind of stuff but I like it that you, you it's not about um, it's not about them it's not about how, how they the, the, their thought process and, and what they what they believe um, initially but I love it because because it's it's an open forum we can agree to disagree mm. and and you, you take the hits but hey but at the end of the day we were brothers and obviously mm. we had one of the one of the candidates who was here last time and so he he was saying some things. And so he's not here to defend himself, but he, he was saying some things. And um, I thought, you know, it would be kind of interesting kind of to set the record straight because, like, he was saying some, some of those, and it could have, you know, I can imagine it was quite some hurtful stuff also. But I didn't hear anything in terms of you coming back or lashing out at him. And so how do you contain yourself? Because, as, like, we talked about strength, inner strength, but surely there's going to be you know, we're emotional people. Surely there's going to be there's a time when like, man, I'm going to get those. Well, how, oh, come on, there, fight, got it, eh? So yeah, how, how, do, how do you how do you do that? Because man, that, that takes a lot of control, self control, to not go down that track. Yeah, I think politics is a, for me is is like my version of my sport. Hey, I, I didn't play uh, first fifteen for very long. I wasn't uh, that good a lock. Hey, I played number four for a little bit, and then my coach said, "I think you need to find a different sport." So I joined the debating team, uh, and and I, I did really well in debating. I thought, "Oh man, I can't be like my brothers who all, who both played rugby." I think for me, it's it's the ability to look above all of that, and I don't want to spend my time. I think by nature, I'm quite visionary. Hey, and it's my wife tells me this all the time. She goes, "You know, you think about." the things above a lot hey, like what's the next step and and she's really helpful for me because then she helps me to staircase and think okay well how do we get there and I think that's probably what I'm like is when people start you know making all sorts of comments I've heard you know even today on Twitter people saying things that I never said and I thought oh, okay I'm guilty like the time there was a time I got interviewed on TV3 and I said I think the churches need to rethink the way we handle our tithing and then I went into a meeting and then I came back and man, everyone went bananas because TV3 had written, Ephesos says stop tithing. And I said, that's not what I said. And then, you know, we had church ministers ringing my mother saying, oh, how can your son talk like this? So, you know, I'm and I'm get, being made guilty for things I never said. And I think this is what happens is, you know, sometimes people sensationalize things, but I know what my truth is. I know what I've said. I don't forget it. I think it's just seeing above all of that and late and people recognize sometimes much later that you're not what people are trying to make you out to be hey, when they write those articles mm. you're not that in the end and, you know we've always grown up you know everyone says to what you know the god can see and i think there's a part of me that actually believes that that we we can trust the lord that he's going to to sort it out for us and that I can just keep pressing on you yeah, sometimes the information hurts there are times where I've got to push back because some things are just not correct mm. at all and you've got to say so but I think man that's down in the dump stuff I want I see life much bigger than that and if mm. people want to get caught up in that you know, I know who you're talking about as well and I just think oh another cheap attempt to bring people down and I think we're much better than that and I'm hoping that people lift their eyes that's all I've been about in this campaign I want people to lift their eyes be aspirational and not get lost in the weeds but think about what the future looks like well said well said also nice one man just thinking about mainstream media is it frustrating sometimes that you know people in politics are held to such a high standard 
almost to the point where you can't really be yourself. You're under a microscope 24-7. Anything you say in mainstream media, it's almost like a double-edged sword. You Sometimes you need them to clarify things, but obviously that isn't always the way it goes. And, you know, you've, you've mentioned earlier about how um, sometimes people can have preconceptions. And I've heard people say, um, you know, mainstream media plays a role in that. And so I'm sort of curious about your take on mainstream media and their role in politics and in the way that you kind of have to live your life as someone that's involved in in politics. Yeah, I, I think now there's been a real scrutiny eh, over over politicians. I think there'll always be that level of scrutiny, but sometimes it's a little bit extreme. Eh? We don't need to be following people everywhere, but that's just something. I think the West is really good at doing that kind of stuff. And watching what you say, uh, you know, I'm unfortunately my the poor. I have a comms team, and there's a guy who does quite a bit of work with me. And sometimes I feel sorry for him because he rolls his eyes all the time preparing all these speeches. And then I get up and think, nah, 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 I'll just talk from the heart. And the whole time he's sitting at the back of the hall going, oh, what's he gonna say now? You know. And then some. And then you know, some. And you know, because I get a bit excited about the world. Hey. And and holding a script sometimes I find a little bit boring too. Because hey, that's kind of my nature. Because you know, I, you know, I got described. You know, I think the best thing that the media did for me was I got an email from someone who said to me, you know, Fessel, when it comes to local government, you're like the Carlos Spencer of local government. Mm. Thank you very much. <laughs> Never made the blues. Carlos. Still support the Chiefs, but that's all right. That's okay. But I, I, I think it's really important that we understand we're being watched. We understand that what we're saying quite could be misconstrued by people. But when we understand what our truth is, we'll always go back to that position. And I don't think anyone else telling a story about us is ever going to get the story completely right. But it does; um, it is frustrating sometimes because you want the you want people to understand what you've said the way you said it. Similar to when I said, "Let's challenge the idea of tithing and how we look at it." You can still do it, but to then have it reported as "I said we should stop" is not what I said, and that's the challenge of of politics and other people telling the story. I think most journalists in, in the world are okay. There are some that get a bit excited about life and like to change things and pick out one word that you said and you know, add their own take to it. You, you get that too. But I, I think mainstream media has got a role to, to tell the story, but I want them to tell the story honestly, which is why I think podcasts like this are really important because you're relaxed um, and, and you're having an honest conversation. And that said, though, it's interesting because people will watch the media will watch it and they'll be looking for something to pick out to say, oh, well, that, he said it this way to, tonight, but he said it a different way the other day. Is he actually telling the truth? Or, or they'll try and, you know, just weigh it out. And so you, I, I get that too. And I just want people to know that I love Bertia, even though I come on his podcast and people are going to try and misconstrue <laughs> what I have to say. But, you know, your brothers and I'll just be on, as hey, honest man. as I can be. Hey, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure, it's a privilege. It is it's a real privilege um, to have you on, on tonight and also face to face and on, on the table. So, mm -hmm. just going back to your campaign because I know it's, it's nearing the end. Um, but your, your values, you have the three C's uh, courage, care, and collaborate. If you can tell, because some people may have not kind of 
gone on, on the website on, and checked out uh, the values. But if you can ch- just elaborate more on, on, on the three C's or so. Yeah, choice. I'm C's glad up. you've seen the three C's. Well done. That's really good. I haven't talked about the three C's for a while now. I keep talking about rates. But because <laughs> that's, the, that's <laughs> everyone's questions about rates at the moment. Now, I do have a policy on rates thing. They can find that uh, on my website. But look, look, when I think about care, I'm thinking about the way we interact with one another. And I think coming out of COVID, there is a bit of frustration in the city. And we've got to be careful in the way we connect with one another, the way we interact, the way we speak to one another. Let's not get into screaming matches. And let's allow people to share where, where they see the world. And I think that's really important. It also re- relates to the way we handle the finances of council, that we're going to be careful, we're going to be you know make sure that we're conscientious with the way we handle our finances. With collaboration, it's um, I'm really keen to work with people. I really enjoy listening to people, hearing what their stories are, where they're hitting things from, what their hopes are for the future, what their challenges are. And at council, you really need someone who collaborates because you don't come in and everyone just agrees. It's not like parliament where you get in and you've got the numbers and you can vote legislation through. At council, you've got 20 plus one people and you've got to work out how you're going to get enough votes to support your vision. So collaboration is really key. And that's going to take, um, you know, you want robust conversations, but you want someone who's going to get out and listen to people. And then just to encourage, I think there comes a time where in leadership, you've got to make a call. You listen, you understand where everyone's coming from. And if it's, you know, evenly poised, then you've got to make a call. And I think that's what courage looks like. But I think for me, there's the aspect of courage where just standing in the race has been really courageous. Hey, mum always says to me, son, come Saturday, doesn't matter, you've already won, you're in the race. And for me, that's a win. Hey, for my mum, that's a win. And so I was thinking, yeah, I've won. I've won in the sense that we're here. And I think that's what courage looks like, is we're in a race that isn't, you know, we don't normally participate in. So, and it excites me. I think, man, this is really cool. And yeah, whatever happens on Saturday, I'll be really happy or I'll still be really happy anyway because i still got my family beside me and that's what matters most. So that's what I mean by some of those three C's. Awesome, man. Awesome. Cool. Awesome, awesome. Um, my, my only thing around, um, uh, around like politics or what's, um, what's on top in terms of like what's everyone discussing at the moment is um, ram rates. Mm-hmm. It seems to be the hardest topic in, uh, for politics across, you know, yeah. not only council, but um, government. But um, what are your thoughts around ram raids and what we can do as a community to support our young people? I like the way you asked the question, what we can do as a community, because I think there's two two parts to this. I'll talk about the first bit first, which is, I think, the community response. Uh, you, you know Ronji well. Ron and I did some research about 12 years ago on youth gangs in South Auckland. And what we found was that the um, the recruitment starts, this will be stuff that you know too, the recruitment starts really early. It's really interesting when I go around the city and people are shocked that 10-year-olds are involved in ram raids when we know from the research that we produced 10 years ago, and even before that, that that's when the recruitment starts for the youth gang. So we know that there's some young men in particular, but there's young people who are exposed to this um, early on. Mm. And so I think we've got to get the right youth workers, social workers, community constables working together in the community to make sure that we've got 
the safety net for our young people. Hey, I'm, I'm the chair of Otara Health and we have youth workers at Otara Health and we run um, children's, well, youth programs. A lot of them turn up, you know, if the program starts at nine, a lot of them are there at seven o'clock. And I often, we often ask them, well, why you come so early? And they said, oh, you know, things are tough at home. We haven't had anything to eat. And I don't want to sensationalise it, but the truth is we've got a lot of young people that are coming. Their parents have come through this life cycle. And now the children are coming through the same life cycle. And so what we're trying to break here isn't something that's just happening now. This mm. is something that is now generational. And so it's tough on these parents. And a lot of people are saying, oh, but where's the parents? I said, mate, if your parents went through this, this is a... This this is normal behaviour for them. So I think we've got to do that. And I think the church, oh, I've been picking on the church a lot in the campaign. I think the church and community organisations can offer real support here. Hey, we don't just want churches that are full with people on Sunday and then empty through the rest of the week. Hey, churches are really good at doing that. And that's why I've been asking we should rethink the tithing. Anyway, but <laughs> that's where I think we can offer some real solutions. And then up front, we've got to be working with um, the businesses that have been affected by this. Hey, it's a violation on those businesses. That's tough because, you know, blood and sweat and investment's gone into those businesses. And then if you're ram raided, you've got goods that have been stolen, you've got an now claim insurance, yeah, and you, you're fearful for your own safety. That's not good. That's not the society we want. So how do we ensure that we're working alongside the police and making sure that there's funding available so that everyone is going to be supported? So that's what I think it is. But, you know, being a researcher in this area, I think we've got to get the upfront um, stuff sorted out quickly. And that's the way we do it, is make sure that there's good support for these families that, you know, that are challenged. So, and how important are the youth workers in, in this whole thing? Majorly important, eh? And if I think I think youth workers are just as important as the cops that we have on this at the moment, and our teachers. You know, they all have the same level of importance. And youth workers are cool. And you know, obviously, I'm I'm a youth worker, so that's why I love youth workers. But you want people who understand young people who've got a real heart for them, and that's why you want them involved early because they're the ones who are going to understand where, why the young person is kind of on this particular track. And then we could, we've got to support families. I'd love to see more parenting support programs, more programs where we've got food going into the houses. Mm. It's too easy to judge. You know, when COVID hit, everyone's going, oh, you know, suddenly, you know, we're panic buying and all of that kind of stuff. We've got to just make food available, ensure that the kids are eating. Often we blame the parents. Eh? We just think, oh, it's the parents' fault. Let's just get beside people and let's walk through this together and I think that's why youth workers man, I've got a major love for youth workers and social workers because they've got such an important role to support families through tough times and, uh, yeah because I'm <laughs> well, you forgot, that's the only reason why I am oh no but no, it's cool, but cool. A, yeah shout, shout out to all our youth workers yeah, yeah. Um, usually because um people found out that you're going to be on the table tonight. And so we've got some messages coming oh, through. Sweet. And uh, yeah, it's all right if I yeah, read them out. What are your thoughts about this involving environment, economy, gloom and doom post-COVID and how would you lead? Yeah, it's a good question. Look, I think for post-COVID, and I'll come to the environment in just a minute, post-COVID, we've got to connect people with um, with real care. That's what we, I talked about earlier in those three Cs as, as platforms to work on. But I think people want a sense of freedom, eh? and they, they feel like, you know, we've gone through, especially in Auckland, you know, you've had a number of lock, 
lockdowns, is that what we called them? Mm. And now we've got to ensure that people feel like they're safe to move around again, they can get out and about again. And that's how we lead. We lead by connecting people again. And the best way to... Um, the best way for all of us to feel safer post-COVID is to connect, eh? and it's the it's the inter interactions that we have and the connection that's going to make the difference. And, you know, when people are turning up to cafes, when you're going out to clubs, I know we're not clubbing anymore, we're a bit old now <laughs> for that, but people love that. They love yeah. the ability to just kind of be with amongst their friends, so that's really important. When it comes, comes to the environment, I, look, I've been really clear, I think we should just accept that the science is the science. Let's understand, you know, we have a role to take care of the planet, but let's do everything we can to ensure that we we mitigate and we reduce our emissions. And that's going to happen when we're you know, out of our cars. We're not so reliant on our cars. We're living intensified lives. We live in an apartment, and that means that we're close. We don't need the car so much now. We we're close to to the bus, and we can walk. Actually, walking's a lot better than um, driving as well. And and we'll see, you see too that in car dependent societies, there's a high levels of obesity. Because we're so, you know, you're just going up to the shop, so we jump in the car, we should be walking or cycling. So all of that's going to matter. And I, I, I want people to think about how we, we you know, some people, I, th I think the, the idea of being the guardians of the earth, of the planet that we have, that's the way we should approach it because we care about each other and that's going to happen. Yeah, that's, that's cool. cool. That's so good. Just just another thing as well, because I, I looked at your policies, um, uh, and uh, I think one of the biggest ones that um, that our people, more so our people, are probably looking at is like, is the housing, uh, property, and and so forth, and affordable housing. And so, if you could just touch it on a little bit on on that, yeah, yeah. that'd be that'd be awesome, mate. So, so I start from the position that Salvation Army tells us we've got about thirty thousand houses short at the moment. So that means somewhere. Someone's living somewhere that where they can't be adequately housed, and I think we've got a we've got a responsibility to make sure everyone's got adequate housing. So that that's the premise I start from. There's things that council can do, and then there's things that we can do alongside the crown. What council can do is where we're doing regeneration activity, and what regeneration means is you might have like four or five houses in one spot. We've taken those out, and we're going to maybe build an apartment complex that's going to have three times as many houses, similar to where we live. But you want it to you want to make sure that it's near good amenity. So amenity is you can get to a supermarket, get to school, get to the library or the gym, and it's all within a close range, so you're not having to go too far. And so that's what so we have a, a regeneration arm at council. We don't build the way the government can build. Eh? We we don't have that ability, but what we can do is work with developers so that they can build. And that's gonna happen. the more we build, the more we hit the supply issue, and the supply mean just means that we've we've providing more houses. The other thing we've got too is Stats New Zealand tell us we've got about 40,000 ghost houses in Auckland and a ghost house is just a house people have invested in but because they know that you sell it in a couple of years it'll double in value it just sits there and I'd like council to get alongside those homeowners and say look you keep your asset you know, for as long as you want but why don't you trust the community housing providers like Salvation Army Vision West to take the house to allow them to rent it out on your behalf and then when you want the house back to either sell it or to live in it yourself it'll come back in the quality that you gave it to us and even if we only got like 25% of those ghost houses that's nearly 
nearly 10,000 houses. So we've already got a we've got the supply here. It's just learning that we've got to be able to share. So and housing's really important. The, the research is really clear that if you don't have stable housing, there's a whole range of things that happen. You you're unhealthy, your education levels don't uh, aren't maximized and and because you're transient, a lot of people out south and west are really transient, so we're always moving to different houses. It's it's upsetting or it's unsettling for education. So mm. that's what we can do. But I would challenge the government to build faster. Mm. They've been building a number of houses, but I think they've really got to build faster because we've got to make sure that people uh, in state housing can get into them, and that's where we've got our major shortage. Yeah, because I'm just thinking as well, um, because a lot of people think, okay, inflation, the, the economy is looking quite um yeah. you know, and it's uncertain at this moment but because a lot of people think okay housing how, how do i get a how do i afford my own house or how do i get my own house how do I rent and so forth you look at Auckland just ridiculous um rates yeah. and 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 um, the prices and so for a lot of our people i'm just i'm just assuming that a lot of people think hey first, how, how do i you know how do we how do we kind of kind of close that margin in terms of um being able to actually own a house yeah so i think there's two things we've got or three things firstly we've got to build enough state housing so that's where the government provides housing eh? and we grew up in a state house so there's that that's one aspect the next aspect is rental so rent is so high that we've got to look at how we manage some of the rental costs and we we can't just keep changing the rent so, you know, I think, oh, I can get a bit more out of you. Our rents are way too high. And that's a supply. I, th- I think a lot of that is a supply issue. And what you want is the ability to know if I'm going to rent this house, I'm, I can at least stay here for it, it, 10 years. Say, let's just use that as an example, 10 years minimum. Because then you know you're going to go to the local school, you've got the local stuff, and you're part of that community. But it's um, it's hard when you the rents keep going up. Then you think, well, actually, I might have to move to in the cargo because it's cheaper to stay there. So there's a renting issue, and that's what we've got to sort out too. And that's a, a, partly related to supply, and partly related to do we actually need to collect this much rent from people? Our rents are hugely exorbitant. I don't think they need to be as high as they are. And to get to affordable housing. One of the things I've said is when we do a development, so say we're building 100 um, units somewhere, my challenge to Ekepanuku, which is our regeneration arm, is to say 15%, say as an example, will be affordable homes. And that will be in that kind of, um, I think that's, a, I think it's, I think affordable is like two thirds of the of the average price. So that would be anywhere between 600 and 800,000. I know that's still a lot. But you want some set aside specifically for affordable and then you've got the general market ones. So you've got this mix of housing available to people so that everyone can get in. And I also think it's important that we understand that the quarter acre section is gone and that if we're going to get into a house, the apartment we bought, we bought our apartment about five years ago. It was 600000 You know, my brother who lives in Australia laughs at me thinking, mate, you got that tiny two-bedroom part for 600 k And he says, compare that to my four-bedroom house in Brisbane that I had built new for 400 k But we've just got to accept that in Auckland, because we've got such an overheated um, housing market, that that's all 
will be able to afford. And so I think we firstly let's deal to the idea that we're going to have land. Let's uh, appreciate that. To get onto the property market, we're going to have to look at apartments. That's the decision that our family made. But if you're wanting a house with land on it, that's going to cost you well over what one... I think the average house price now is about $1.2 million. That's expensive yeah, for people. Man. Yeah, And you're looking at houses in Auckland. I think there's a house that went in for $1.2 million. Yeah. But also, what are your thoughts on gentrification? Like, it's a lot of people have been... I've been hearing it lately. The people in Auckland, they're kind of like, you know, it's just too much. I'm out of here. I'm going down, down the line. Yeah. That affects us as well, and it's important. That's why we we go for what we call the mixed housing model, which is some of them will be state houses, some of them will be first home buyers, and then others will be social housing. So when you've got a mix of people, that's what you ultimately want. The challenge is a lot of people um, have to move out when we're um, developing, and you don't want people who've always lived, say, in Pamua to now suddenly have to move out of Pamir, which they've made their home, to allow for this development. So we've got to be really fair to people to say, if we're going to develop this area, you can come back, especially in state housing. I know it, you know, there was the Tamaki experience that wasn't really good. It was poorly done. And as a result of that, heaps of people had to leave. But they'd lived in Tamaki for ages, I think in mostly the Pamir Glen Innes areas. So when we plan, we've got to plan to keep people. So we say to people, right, we're going to develop. It's going to take us a year to build all these houses but we're going to house you somewhere else for a little while but you will get the first right to come back and I think we've got to be honest about that so that's what we've got to be doing but regeneration is hard and often they say that this is how you push out communities we've seen it through yeah you see it in New York you've seen it we've seen it in Sydney and in Melbourne so we've got to make sure that we've got ways to protect people that have made that particular areas their home so you we can do good regeneration but we've got to do it properly Awesome, man. Thank you, man. Thanks. Awesome. Man, that's cool. Um, You mentioned before, um, you know, having amenities close by with some of these housing projects and things. Um, And I wanted to talk, um, one of the things that was sort of mentioned in the voting um, pamphlet was about um, free public transport. Um, So I was wondering if you could elaborate a little bit about that. Yeah, I I think one of the, I, I approach public transport the way we talk about hospitals and schools. They're free. Hey, no one, you don't get to a school unless you go into a private school and they say, oh, sorry, can you pay this amount of money? I see you know, public schools, public hospitals, so you go in and you get the service. I see public transport in the same vein, that you should just get on the bus and all you have to do is swipe your hop card or tag your hop card. And I, it's possible. We can actually afford it. And why I think it's important is because for some families, 30% of their income goes towards transport. And petrol is really expensive. The government is going to reintroduce the 25 cents excise that they took off petrol in January. So you're going to see petrol well over $3 again in the coming months. And so you want people to think, well, well, how else can we avoid all of these costs? And we've been talking a lot about the cost of living crisis. I think this is one way that council can respond to the cost of living crisis and make sure that people are able to get on and off the bus or the train for free. It means the kids who are going to school, they can use the bus for free. When you're out traveling, if you're trying to get to work, you know that the bus is going to come on time, mostly, uh, then you can you can do that for free. So that's why I think it's really important and good because it gets people out of their cars again. And if we're 
they, they say that it costs us in lost productivity $1.3 billion because people are stuck in traffic. So if you need to use your car, the, you know, and often when we're on the motorway, it's only one person in a car anyway. So if we if the tradies were on the road, if the people who needed to be on the road were on the road and everyone else was on the bus, it would be a much better experience anyway. So I think public transport being free is going to be really helpful for everybody. That's cool. Awesome. Ah, no lover. Um, I was just going to say, when you, you know, thinking about um, housing and connecting communities and public transport, um, are there like other places in the world in terms of like people who have modelled successful sort of prototypes or procedures mm-hmm. like this before that you kind of look at as inspiration? Obviously, you have a, an eye for like, you still have to adapt it to how we are locally, mm-hmm. but are there places around the world that you kind of look to? Is inspiration? Yeah, there's there's a couple of jurisdictions. There's a place called Tallinn, which is in Europe, and Tallinn did it. And they um they when they realised just how successful it was, they they went hard on it. In Kansas City, in the states, they did a, a couple of routes and certain bus services that they made first. That uh, they, they trialled it with those bus services and they saw an increase in the number of passengers wanting to use it. So that's where we've got um, good evidence to show that free public transport is really useful for families and for communities. The challenge we have in Auckland is whether we've got good reach. And so sometimes the, you might not have a bus that gets to the part of Manurewa that you live in or gets to the part of Millwater that you want it to get to. Or the buses are so big it's a waste of time, you should have smaller buses. Those are the things that we've got to work on, is making sure that you can rely on the bus service. A lot of people complain because you know a lot of cancellations, and a lot of that is relates to bus drivers, is you can make one and a half times being a bus driver in Australia than if you were in New Zealand. So we've got an employment challenge eh, or a labour shortage, and so... Yeah, we've got to we've got to lift our wages. New Zealand is, has always been a low wage economy, so we've got to find ways to lift our wages. Otherwise, everyone's going to go to Oz because you earn more money over there. So that's the balancing act. As a lot of these cancellations have come because we've had a lot of sick or unwell drivers, or just not enough drivers. So we can't keep up with demand because we haven't got the labour to be able to have it all work. But those would be the probably the key jurisdictions. I'm trying to think of the other one. It'll come back to me afterwards. But there was another one where they just did a single route and um, it worked for a little while. But what they found was the people who were who were using it um, weren't quite what they wanted. So there's evidence there, but I'm convinced that just jumping on the bus for free is going to be really good for people. Oh, that's cool. Thank you. Um, Darren from Central Auckland asked, um, who will be paying for... Um, the free yeah. public transport. Well, we, we pay for a whole lot of stuff now. So when we collect your rates, that goes to a range of services that we have now. So, yeah, the library is free, but you've actually paid for it through your rates. The same way the pool, you pay that through your rates as well. And what I'm saying for free public transport is instead is to take the money. I've identified two different buckets around a billion dollars each. So that's two billion dollars. And what we need for, to make public transport free is 236 million. So you're just taking from those buckets and you're reprioritizing it so nothing else changes. The only thing that will change is we might not have so much money going towards lawyers' costs or HR costs because we consult a lot. A lot of those contracts come to about a billion dollars. And then we've got other projects within transport that are a billion dollars too. So I'm just saying let's focus on public transport, making it free first. 
put the money there and then the other projects, can we delay them? Is it time? Is it, is it something that we really need? So we're just taking money from one bucket and putting it in another. In another. Um, what can Aucklanders look forward to under your leadership? Yeah. Some hope and inspiration is, is, I think, is first and foremost. And to lead us, as we come out of COVID, you really want people to be connected again. So that's what I want. And actually, under the law, it says that the role of the mayor is to set the vision for the city, not to get in there and you know mow the grass, but to set the vision. And so I think that's what you'll get in my style of leadership is a vision for Auckland to, to think about what we're going to be like in the next 20 years. Our, our growth um, projections show that we're going to be 2.4 million people in the next 20 years. So we're growing fast. And so it means that we've got to be thinking about, well, where are we going to house? If we're already 30,000 houses short, how are we going to work to make sure that we're not just thinking about the 30,000 houses short that we are at the moment, but the growth that we're expecting in the next 20 years? So that's going to impact on public transport. It's going to impact on our infrastructure. You know, when people turn on the tap, you just expect that the water's going to come out. That's a council issue. But that's just something we expect uh, and we want to make sure we've got some of the cleanest water in the world. We should be proud of that. It's not something we think about often, but that's something we should be really proud of. And that's that's something we want to maintain. And so I think for, for me, the... Um, the leadership that I'll bring is one where we're in, we're inclusive, where people feel like this is their city, where you want to actually cement your roots here in this city, and that where we're thinking about how we pay for living here, because often there's a question of rates, is it just rates? We should be looking at how we're going to allow for the growth. And I want to challenge the government. See, council doesn't determine how many people come and live in Auckland, it's up to the, the Crown. I want to challenge the government to say, well, if we're adding this many people to the city every year, then you've got to support us. Just so that people know, of all the public money, all the taxes and rates that are paid throughout the country, the government takes 93% and local government gets 7%. So we're expected to do all of this stuff on 7% of the money available. And the government does what it wants to do with its money because they've got 93%. So... That's why it's, a, it's, it's really imbalanced. And the first thing I would do is say to the Crown, when you pay your rates, you pay GST on those rates. Your rates is a tax. And then the government adds another tax and keeps the tax. And so I've said to them, well, give us back that tax. That GST comes to about $300 million. If they gave that back to us, we could do a whole lot more. But the government keep it. And so we're, that's why we have a rates problem is because we think, oh, if we need something, we've got to go to rates. Or if we need something else, do we borrow more money? And people don't want to do those things. So the government has to come to the party. We're the biggest city in New Zealand. We represent nearly 40% of the GDP. That's why the government's got to look at us and think, yeah, we want to share the resources that we have. We're not $300 million in the terms of the government. You know, They collect about $95 billion a year. Council works on four billion, so you can see that it's completely skewed, and the government can determine a lot of things. Just giving us back three hundred million out of their ninety-four billion hey, isn't a lot of money. It's like twenty bucks. I shouldn't say it like that, but you know what I'm saying. It's not comparable the budgets that we're talking about. And I think this is what's important about being in this race is that now many people think, "Oh, I didn't realise." That's what the difference was. And now people feel like, oh, it's explained to them now, which is why we should be challenging the Crown all the time about sharing the resources available. Yeah. Sorry, what was still like, like how you're saying, 
challenging the crown and the government like because you you're attached to labor and so how easier would it be for you when you are when you win or if you're successful like holding them accountable to some of these issues you're seeing between council yeah. and government yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm endorsed by Labour and the Greens and what endorsement means is essentially we've got room to breathe and so I don't have to do um, at all, I'm not compelled to do what they're doing and they're not compelled to do what I'm doing. All we're agreed on is the values that we're going to be honest, we're going to be robust and collaborative, you know, courageous, all of those things. So that's what an endorsement's um, good for. And I think I've shown, you know, I voted against the regional fuel tax. So remember we added, you've got the petrol, the taxes that are on petrol, and then we, council put on another 10 cents, and I voted against that. The Labour Party wanted us to do that, and I'm a member of the Labour Party at the time. And so I, by voting against it, it shows that I'm prepared to challenge them. I also challenged the government when it was, you know, the COVID response. Mm. I thought they did it wrong in certain parts, and so I challenged them there too. So I think people can rely on me to, to go with my gut, eh, to get an understanding of what the, what's best for the community and then represent the community. In the same way I'm saying they should give back that $300 million, that's a challenge to the Minister of Finance. And saying to him, you know, one of the things that he came back saying was, oh, it's not on my radar. And I said, well, it better be on your radar because that money belongs to us. So we need someone that's going to be focused on Auckland issues. And for me, this isn't about the party. When you get to in local government, everyone will run. And then when they're around the table, everyone works really hard to try and get what's best for Auckland. And I think if that's our impetus, if that's what's driving us, then we can have a mayor that's going to push back on the government. And the same, you know, I've got good relationships with people both in Labour and in National. So for me, it doesn't matter who's in government at the time. What's important is Auckland and what we need. So, yeah, that's the way to approach it. Hey, not be bound up by it. Child, mm. also that sort of answers a lot of um, questions and a lot of people's perceptions yeah. in terms of, like, um, your endorsement by Labour yeah. and whoever's endorsing you. But um, the other thing I wanted to say was, um, I know your heart's for all of Auckland and you're representing Auckland and you know under what a mayor's supposed to do you have this vision for all of Auckland but what what can South Aucklanders um, expect or be excited for under your vision and your leadership? I think they can be excited well it's, it's one of their own that's standing and I think that's really exciting too I talked about the free public transport. That's going to be really useful for many of our communities. And it's not just south. I think you know, everyone's going to benefit from that. The, the desire to increase our housing, that's for everybody too. But we know that there's particular needs in South Auckland as well. And I think what I'm driven by is what I've seen having grown up in South Auckland and how that can determine some of the focus. I think... Essentially, yeah, it's looking at, and even playgrounds and resourcing, this might scare some people, but we know that a lot of the resourcing it works out at a formula of who had what assets coming in. And the reason why a lot of the money for playgrounds goes to the shore is because when we became one council, member, we were seven, mm -hmm. became one, they had more playgrounds. So the way the money works is we have a set budget 
And then wherever the playgrounds are, we go and maintain the budget. So you're going to get more money because you had more playgrounds. Hey, we had fewer mm. playgrounds, and that's why we don't get as much money. But when you're thinking about growth, we know that the growth areas are West Auckland and South Auckland. And so that means we're going to have more playgrounds there. So we've got to shift the formula so that we can follow that. And I think that's what people can expect. They'll look, they can expect that I will take an equity-based approach. Where there's need, we should be focused on the need. And that means the rest of the city's got to understand we've got to share. And I don't know that we've quite got that mentality yet, mm. eh, about sharing things, about being good. You know, when Manuko Council came into council, we came in wealthy. We came in with assets. The airport shares, up until COVID, the airport shares that Manuko brought into council were paying $60 million a year. Those were shares that the Manuko City Council came into council with, and now it's all of our shares. Because remember, we became one council, so now it's everybody's shares. But those were shares that we had. Yeah. Hey, and we should be really proud. Mm -hmm. that, and that earns us $60 million. Before COVID, it was earning us $60 million a year. No one talks about that. Mm. Hey, we should be thanking Manuko. That's hey, right. For coming in with, <laughs> that, right. with that money. <laughs> Do you think there's things like that we've forgotten? Yeah. Because we just think, oh, yeah, it's everyone's money. It's everyone's debt. But hang on, let's look back and mm. think, yeah, thanks for th for bringing that in with you. So, Man, this is, this, is, this is so educational. Um, you got us vote yeah. now. <laughs> so educational. <laughs> You've got your people so in the on the fence before. <laughs> It is, it is. It's wonderful. I love it that you, what, you, what you're talking about, um, uh, Fanana. Mm. It really is. And it's, it's going to help a lot of our people, a lot of our men who are watching this, but more so just people in general who may not even look at, okay, what is it? What's Fanana all, all about? But yeah. you just saying it from, from the horse's mouth. It's like, oh, sheiks. And people are kind of, be, oh, man, maybe I should vote. Yeah, that, well, yeah. that's the hope I am, um, yeah. Fanana. They're like, hey. Oh, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I, I need to vote now. I need yeah. to get up, get off my get off my bum, and and just and vote. And so, let's say, let's say, let's say let's say Saturday comes, and you are successful. And I'm just wondering when it's all said and done, the smoke settles, and let's say you you just you you reign for 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 such a long time, you for for, for years, and like you said early on, you know, there's a time when you know that hey, it's time for me to kind of move on and then eat someone else. But what's what's the, what's when you look back, and it's just kind of future sense. When you look back, what do you hope in your mind? You think what what is it that you want? To, what's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Mm -hmm. When you're able to look back and go, "Wow, this is what I want to leave behind." Yeah, I, I want people to to be housed. I think that's probably the most important thing for me, and I, I accept that council can't do all of that. But to be have strong advocacy so that we can house people. I, just, I can't understand that in such a wealthy nation we have people who don't have anywhere to sleep at night. The fact that we've got people who are sleeping in their cars. You know, in our days when we were growing up, I don't know, you, you came from wealthy families. Our family <laughs> came up we were raised on Preston Road in Otara. But, but, but you know, when, when the boys were allowed to go into the garage, remember those days? Mm. Hey, it was like, man, that's freedom. We could sleep in the garage. That's not how it works anymore. Like, we've got whole families living in garages. Now, that's not the same as when it was cool for us as the boys in the house to be able to sleep in the garage. And I think that's an indictment on our society, that that should not be happening, and none of us should accept that. And so I'd love for Auckland to be the place where we've got enough houses for everyone to live, and that they feel like this is my home now. And 
that means we're going to have strong advocacy. I've got some real ideas around transport as well. And one of them is I'd like to see the second harbour crossing. Hey, the, the harbour bridge is just at, at capacity. It's been at capacity for years. And so I think a second harbour crossing, that's something that we can get to the government. And then better, I'd like to see light rail go up to the northwest. So, you know, along, um, when you're travelling out west, you've got the motorway that works really well. We should have light rail there. And that's going to make it quicker for people and get the train stations, I mean, or, or the trains working or the, the light rail going. And then, of course, the, the central, oh, sorry, the light rail to the airport. So I think there's real transport things. The thing about transport is when you put in train stations or when you put in light rail, because they're looking at light rail from the airport through to Britomart, what it actually creates is housing. Hey, and so remember, if my thing is housing, then I'm looking for anything that's going to add to housing. It's also going to add to let's get out of our cars and go on the train. But they tell us that light rail will, will create the opportunity for another 70,000 houses. So that's the stuff that drives me. Hey, my girls can go to sleep at night. they got somewhere warm. They're home with us. I want that for every family. And unfortunately, we don't see it. I'm not saying we should be following where all the homeless are. But the fact that people are homeless is not good. Hey, and, and I want everyone to know that there's somewhere warm and safe that they can lay their head at night because that has such an impact on your own personal and mental development. So for me, it's housing. Not quite a council thing, but it's something that I'm really driven by. Yeah, beautiful. So beautiful. Except we're conscious of time as well. So, no, so um, cool. brothers, any any other questions? Yeah, I did have um, uh, a couple of thoughts. Oh, I mean, the first one really was, um, I think you've highlighted just naturally some of your strengths. And so I'm curious about what you feel are some of your weaknesses and, and perhaps maybe just some of the ways that you sort of plug those gaps. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so staircasing, making sure that I've got, you know, people, there's always blind spots, say, in any leader. And, and I guess, firstly, I accept that, but making sure that the team around me are people who are going to support me um, in identifying these are the challenges that I have or the blind spots that I have. And that's why I think it's important to be collaborative, because as I listen to people, I recognise that not all my ideas are the best, Hey, and I think, oh, what a shame that you don't agree with me, but it's all right, I'll live with it. And so getting the right people beside me, getting and, and being open to their critique, and I think that's how you, you, so that's identifying what the challenges are and then having the team around you that's going to support you to get to the vision. Because I think I'm very visionary and now we've got to make sure that we've got the team that can identify the blind spots or the ways in which we staircase, because it's not just blind spots. It's here's the best way. These are the steps that we've got to go and being really deliberate about those things. And I think when when you've been, um, I guess when when you've been in politics a little while, I've been you know this is almost nine years in local government. I I think it's it's the challenge to myself to not get comfortable and to always be resetting challenges and making sure that I'm resetting goals. And that's important too, because there'll come a time where I'm done. You know what I mean? I've kind of run out of ideas and I've, maybe I'm getting too old to listen to anybody. And when it hits that stage, you know, I'll know it's my time to move on as well. So yeah, I'm all about teams yeah, and I'm, I'm mm. good now with people who say, no, 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 we should do this. Because the best ideas are the ones that have been pulled apart. And what I don't want around me are people who just look like me. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for, for people in leadership or management is often we choose people who look like us, sound like us, and just tell us, oh, yeah, you're doing a great mm. job. Nothing changes. Eh? And I think we should be, and that's even with my friends. If, I've, if the boys are all just people who just, you know, clap and say, well, oh, sorry, well done, 
then that's not genuine friendship. They've got to be there through the good times, the hard times, but also the times where they need to challenge you back and say, Fess, man, you got to, I think I would look at it this way. So, yeah, that's why I have a good group of boys who are quite happy to tell me tell me off and and then I go challenge them in the gym. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's cool. Um, the, the, the last thing I, I sort of had was um, uh, that sort of, duality of like pressing issues but also issues you're really passionate about and so I guess in your position you kind of have to get passionate about the issues that are most pressing to people so mm. how do you sort of learn to be passionate about stuff that maybe isn't necessarily of interest to you personally but you kind of have to for the sake of other people and the people you're serving yeah I, I think when you when you when you're listening to people enough and you understand that it relates to something about what the future looks like then you're able to take all of that material and think, yeah, this is really important. It's important to people. It's important to people that we fix the potholes. It's important to people that we mow the lawns of the parks that they're going to be using. It's important to people that the library opens on time and they've got people who they can relate to. All of that stuff's really important. And you relate it to the kind of city you're wanting to create. And then you, I think I'm energised by the ideas that people share. And some, some ideas I get more of than other ideas but that's the way you manage it you, you've got to make it fit into the vision of the city and if that's why everyone's idea is just as important and you meet some people with some really odd ideas but it's cool because you think oh I never thought of that I never saw it in that light and when people are, are willing to share then that's cool too and then you get some who just lobby Hey, and in politics, we get a lot of that too, where people are just lobbying their idea for their thing and they know they're going to get something out of it. And so being able to push back and challenge the ideas and make sure that it's something that's going to benefit the city is, is going to be helpful too. But again, it's having eyes all over your head and that means you've got to have a good team around you because sometimes some ideas you think, man, that's really cool. And then it's not until you've got a team around you and they say, yeah, yeah, but just think of this. And we've also talked, this person's got the same idea. Is there a way to get them to work together? So all of that stuff helps in creating a, a really cool future for the city. That's cool. Mm, Thank you. Charles. Now, um, just like um, when you're talking about your blind spots and your weaknesses, um, I really like how, because people can perceive what you just shared in terms of like having a team around you and being open to um, criticism, people challenging you, and um, some people can see that as a weakness. But um, it's quite refreshing that we have someone at a that possibly will be at that level of leadership that is willing to listen and 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 would be willing to have a team around them that would um you know feed the the greater good of Auckland and so um you got my vote nah <laughs> but um yeah I just want to you know honor you for just persevering and I know it hasn't been an easy journey and having someone like you that's from the hood like um wanting the best out of Auckland for our people for the next generation mm. is um something that we all should be encouraged mm -hmm. about and we really want to um yeah just keep you in our prayers and hope um that come next week man that we got a you know we got a new um new mayor that represents um all of us and sure. yeah so shout also 
it's been so I thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. It's just been yes. awesome in terms of you sharing and informing us and educating us. And hopefully a lot of people who are watching this or listening to this will get up and vote. Mm-hmm. And that's the hope um, for Anana, that our people, and like Charles was saying, you look like us, you're one of us. And regardless if we agree or disagree, we're proud of you. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Thank we're very proud. And I tell you what, also, you have been the most caught out, caught out, person on this table where's a vessel because oh. we, at the end we say hey who do you want on on the on the podcast and the thing is this and as much as those guys may may awesome men but as much as they, some of them may, may agree or disagree but there's always been the one thing that they they have all said and it's this they have mutual respect for you sure and it is regardless of the outcome of, of um on the weekend the respect that we have for you also it was from here, but now it's just gone past the, the past the, the the rooftop, man. Because it's not easy. I can imagine you fear and your girls and what you've been been through and the criticism and the trolling and the negativity and the racism, all that, and yet you are still here. You're still running, and you're still smiling. Also, we're very proud, man. We're very proud of 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 who you are and what you've done. And regardless of, of the outcome, man, bro, you, you, your dad, if your dad was still alive, man, he would be 100% proud of, of the man that you are, uh, as, as much as, as your wife and your, your girls are. And so also, sure, as, like, like every guest that comes on, we, we want to celebrate, we want to give you a, a gift. And this is a long time coming. Uh, I know we haven't given it to you also, but this is um, a gift from, from, the, from the mandate team also. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Dave. Also, we got some champagne for you as well, Dave. because regardless of the of the outcome, we're celebrating. Uh, yeah, yeah, we're celebrating. We're sure. celebrating, and what better reason to, to celebrate? So this is for you and Fia. So you know, we're just speaking, we're speaking it into existence. So when you when it happens, it comes to fruition. You can crack this bottle open and celebrate champagne for you. And um, and fear in, in the in the family, but also we we haven't forgotten because Charles and I remember the first um, on Zoom, the first interview that you love ice cream. There's a tub of ice cream oh, in the fridge for you as well, and so also, oh man, we just yeah, we just I'm just I guess I'm just lost for words because you know because we've grown up in the hood, could be have yeah, you know, you're grown up in the hood, and um and here you are. And you're doing some amazing things, and it's inspirational for a lot of our men, mm. and regardless of how they feel about you. Man, you cannot deny the work ethic, deny the the, the, the strength and the and and just the, the ability to just to rise above um, all the all the rubbish and the things, the criticism. Uh, we're just really proud of so. And so, bro, we're gonna give you the last word. Is you know words of encouragement for our men out there. Oh, choice. Thank you so much. I'm really humbled by um, both being able to come back and to, to well come back as and come back via zoom but this time in person and with being thrilled at your studio this is amazing i think to, to me like i'm really encouraged it's nice to be able to sit with you and nice to be on your program but i i think what's really important for me is that we think about what tomorrow looks mm. like 
And I know we've talked about it today, but in what you're doing, it's important that hey, people look in on what you guys are talking about and know that someone cares about them. You've got a lot of men who are watching. I'm really hot on being a dad who's present. Hey? And you know, Fia was joking to me last night. She said, oh, I get my husband back after the election. And she's been amazing through this election. She's really believed in me, continues to hold my hand. And I want to pay homage eh? and, and mm. big, um, big ups to our wives our partners and our kids you know they get dragged around and all of this as well and we're the ones with the big visions and hopes for them but i really hope they look in on us and they see men who are standing up for them and i think that's really important because we as dads as husbands we've got to play our part and yeah that's my prayer for my girls that they look at dad and they think oh yeah he's 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 dad at home when i get home my my two-year-old she just starts she, she just goes hi you know, and it's like the day starts again, doesn't matter what's happened, my day starts again when I walk through the door. And that's one of the most uplifting feelings that I can get mm-hmm. is to know that my home is my sanctuary. And which was I think which is probably the most hurtful part of having the police come through it, is because that's my sanctuary. That's the place where I can let my hair down and just chill with my family. So I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to come. I'm proud of each of you. And I look at these young, you're young, I'll call you young. <laughs> We're all over 22 now, but this is hey, this is the example that we can see. So thanks for having me. I'm really honoured. I don't have much else to say other than thank you so much and keep going. Man, this is an awesome programme and a really good opportunity for people to come and share and to talk to. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come in. Oh man, thank you, Fadana. And guys, please like, subscribe and comment. Uh, we look forward to your, your well-thought-out comments. And so just thank you once again to Fadana, Fessel Collins. And as usual, brothers. Oh, quickly. Oh, yeah, yes. Call out. Oh, yes, call Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Who, who, who do you have in mind? Who do you think would be ideal to come on the podcast? Anyone from the, the top of your head? Uh, is there someone you can think of? Yeah, I, I think there's a the guy who handles my comms. His name is Justin Latif. And I think he'd be good, good Mangile boy as well. Yeah, yeah, I think he'd be awesome. cool to be on. Because I already called out Harry last time, I think. Yes. But he's been on your show. Oh, and I think that was one of the worst shows you had, <laughs> eh? We were just attacking that program like crazy. I wouldn't get him back. So I'll, I'll call out someone who's living a good life, honourable life, like Justin Latif. Justin Latif, hey, Doris, Harry. I love you, Harry. That's what we would eat. We still need part two, so all good, bro. We'll have an official part three when he makes mail. Nice, nice. But thank you also once again, and so brothers, as usual, refine, unlock, and take charge. Mandate.